Okay, so we're back to Romans chapter 16, and um, uh, we're going we're gonna to make some headway tonight. I, I really want to get us uh, to verse 17 is where I, 7 and 18, where I want to spend my time. But um, we've, we've addressed this whole issue about Phoebe and the whole deacon thing. I'm going to start at verse uh, 3, where Paul begins to, um, to greet these people. I wouldn't read this through verse 16 uh, because it's nothing but greetings, but there are some things said in there that are uh, of some, some dear value, and, and um, um, I'll, um, I'll do my best to pronounce these names correctly, but I make no promises. Um, it, it, it starts like this. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life to whom not only I give thanks, uh, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Eponidas, who was the first convert to Christ um, in Asia. Greet Mary, who has um, worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachus. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Uh, greet those who, are, who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the uh, family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphina tri, and uh, Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who had worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus. Chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet uh, Asencretus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. Now, guys, um, we, we know very little. Um, we, don't, we don't know much about all these people that I, that I just read you about. I, I, I spent last week talking to you simply about how important was it were people to Paul. And this, this great theologian also was a lover of people. And the point that I was trying to make, and don't know that I made it very well, but was that, that because truth affects people, truth is important. And so Paul was this, this master theologian, but at the same time had such a love for people. But we don't know much about them. We know a little bit about, for instance, uh, Prisca and Aquila. Um, uh, those two we know a little bit about. You know, they, they, were, they lived in Rome. They were run out of Rome. Their, their, their story is basically told in, in Acts chapter 18. They were run out of Rome by Claudius, Claudius the Roman emperor. All Jews had to get out of Rome. Um, they, they hooked up with Paul and... Um, they were tent makers. Uh, on one occasion, uh, God uses both of them to explain the gospel more clearly to Apollos. We know that about them. Uh, we also know that the, the text tells us that they risked their lives. We're not told when or, uh, or what they did, but they risked their lives. We also know that they have a church in their home. Um, in fact, uh, the, it's, the word houses is in the plural someplace. Uh, I forget where it was. But the point is that the church existed in houses, as I, something I think you probably already know. But uh, these two were known to a lot of people. Uh, it says not only to me, but all of the churches, the Gentile churches. Um, this man, Eponidas, um, Paul led him to Christ. There's a Mary in here. There's a lot of Marys in the New Testament, but this is a Mary that lives in Rome. Um, uh, we're told uh, that she was a hard worker. Um, there's Adron Adronicus and Junia. 
Um, those are both relatives of Paul. They were in prison with him. Um, and um, uh, let's see, they, there's um, Ampliatus, which is a, a, a slave's name. Um, Apelles, we're told in verses, verse 9, I think, is, um, was approved. Um, uh, no, it's in verse 10. Approved in Christ. How, what does that mean? We don't know. Probably suffering of some sort. Herodian was probably a, um, a relative of Herod's. In verse 12, we get the mention of three more women, which, as I've told you already, that uh, the idea of including women in this, this list is very countercultural. Uh, uh, women did not occupy a place of uh, esteem, but Paul esteems them. Um, there is a story here in verse 13 that I thought was kind of interesting. Uh, greet Rufus. Um, I don't know whether you remember this part of the, but remember when Jesus was being crucified and he was carrying his cross and um, uh, the Roman guards compelled a, a, um, a guy by the name of Simon from Cyrene. This is in Mark 15, 21. Uh, and they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. Apparently, this Rufus here in verse 13 is the son of the guy that carried the cross of Jesus Christ um, in those, those last um, few yards until he was crucified. But that's his son, Simon's son, and apparently daddy was uh, converted while moving the cross of Christ and then, of course, um, leads his son to faith, which is all conjecture, but there, there is a, um, a tie of the names. Um, verses 14 through 16, we don't know anything about these people. Uh, you notice that there was a legitimate greeting of a holy kiss. Uh, that's been kind of a... Um, Oh, I don't know, kind of a controversial thing. Uh, it can get out of hand. There it is in verse 16. Uh, all the churches of Christ. That is, all these churches are spread around town. They're all in homes. Um, uh, and you see all of them um, functioning under the same set of rules and doctrine. And we'll look at that in just a second. But that's about all I want to say about the, the, that section. Um, he's just mentioning some people that were dear to him and, and for different reasons. Oh, I, I, would, I would say this. There's... Um, um, Donald Gray Barnhouse, who uh, wrote a commentary on the book of Romans, he calls all this stuff here in verses 3 through 16, he calls it epitaphs. Um, what you get in these verses is you get a mention of servant, helper, fellow workers, four people who are called beloved, two called hard workers, fellow prisoners. You get one guy uh, who is approved. You get one named eminent, you get a mother, you, uh, you get saints. You, you, you see all these names, um, these, these words that are used to describe these people, and, and Barnhouse called them epitaphs. And he goes on to, to mention this, which I thought was really interesting. He was talking about these poor people in Rome um, are now being discussed by us 2,000 years later, um, and all of the real hot shots in Rome, who remembers their names at all? I'll even do this. This is a little test. Um, there are two uh, buildings in Rome that are very famous. We, you know, we talk about them a lot. There's the Parthenon and the Colosseum. You know those two buildings? You've heard of those two buildings. Now, who was responsible for building them? You don't remember, do you? Uh, if I were to tell you that it was Hadrian and Vespasian, could you then tell me 
Which one built which? <laughs> um, no. But, I mean, here are these guys um, who were prisoners and fellow prisoners and, and hard workers and servants and beloved are being remembered because they're included in the, in the New Testament. I, I, I just thought that was um, sweet. One, one thing that you must notice about this list is the diversity that's contained in it. The, 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 the Christian church has always been one that included everybody. There's uh, the mention of Jew and Gentile. So there's no, there's racial diversity. Um, the, uh, there's a, there's um, class or socioeconomic diversity. Uh, the name Aristobulus and Narcissus, they're both heads of households. But Rufus and the other name uh, I mentioned were probably both Ampliatus, were probably both slaves. Uh, the whole issue of gender is not an issue. The, inter- the issue of race, the issue of gender, the issue of uh, social standing, none of that mattered in this Christian church. It never is supposed to matter, um, but it has, uh, unfortunately. And churches in this city exist because uh, they came into being over the racial issue, which is um, uh, a real sadness. People are called sisters, brothers, saints, fellow workers, friends, mother. Apparently, Paul viewed this bunch of people as a family. Um, not one word in the, all this list of rank or official position. Not one word. (laughs) Um, Hopefully some things to think about. Now, we come to verse 17. And I want to read you verses 17 and 18 um, before I comment. Um, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. Before I comment on those two verses, I just want to say a couple of words by way of introduction. Um, Because I'm I'm somewhat reticent to even, even go forward with these two verses. Because I'm about to do some things that that could be uh, could be viewed somewhat uncharitably, or I'm about to do things that could be viewed as being uncharitable. Um, I want you to know why I'm going to do them. I'm going to do them because Paul wrote this verse. Um, I'm going to mention some names, And I want you to know that I'm going to mention the names because Paul mentions names. Not these ones that we read here, but in um, 1 Timothy 1, verse 20, and 2 Timothy 4, verses 10 and verse 14, he mentions people who were were troubling the Christian church. Their names were Hymenaeus, Demas, and Alexander, a coppersmith. He mentions troublers by name. Um, Paul was not um, shy about taking on uh, those who distributed error. I think in this politically correct world we live in, anything where names are mentioned can be viewed as uncharitable. Um, I don't enjoy particularly what I'm about to do. I don't do it because I'm a fundamentalist. And, um, you know, the fundamentalists, they get all kinds of fun out of damning folks. 
Um, and that's not why I'm doing it. I am doing that because the Apostle Paul wrote to the Roman church and said, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. Now, so the reason that I'm going to address some issues is because of that admonition on the part of the Apostle Paul. It was important to Paul, and thus it should be important to me as a teacher of what Paul wrote. So I hope that'll at least somewhat um, mitigate some of the things that, maybe not mitigate, but um, soften, I guess, some of the things that I want to say. You know, it's, you read this and it's almost like the Apostle Paul just simply cannot help himself. Um, suddenly, in the, in the middle of what appears to be all these final goodbyes that I just read you, he breaks out with this, this vehement outburst um, and this completely unexpected warning against troublesome people. You know, he's saying, bye, bye, oh, Rufus, I'll see you later, Herodias. Oh, it's good to see you, Janya. By the way, <laughs> you know, that's, that's what this is. I mean, you, you were thinking he's wrapping the thing up, and all of a sudden, boom, we're right back into something that's, that's heavily controversial, um, um, but before I get to all that, I, I just want to point something out before we get to some names. But look at the text. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles. Contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Guys, that's a huge statement. Because what Paul is appealing to is a body of information, a body of Christian doctrine that existed prior to the existence of of a Bible. The Christian church had in their possession, primarily through oral tradition, a doctrinal standard. Uh, it's been given a name. It's called a regular fide. Um, a doctrinal standard by which teachers could be measured even before the existence of a Bible. That's an, I, 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 guys, you don't know how big that is when, in terms of the, the issues of canonicity, in the, in the, in terms of sola scriptura, it's huge. You see that Paul is appealing to a body of existent doctrine that the churches had in their possession prior to having a codified, completed Bible. Now, I know that doesn't mean much to you. But in, 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 in the world of um, theological debate, it is enormous. Particularly when you're talking about the, the debate between two sources of authority according to Mother Rome and one source of authority can, according to Protestantism. It's huge. Just huge. Okay, that's all I'll say about it. Uh, but it's in there, uh, right there. Now... Um, To comment on this, these two texts, I don't know that this happened. I, I don't know, I mean, but I'm trying to, 
kind of existentially place myself in the, in the mind of the Apostle Paul, and it appears to me that this is what happens. He's saying his final goodbyes, and he remembers Rufus. Golly gee. He remembers this, this first guy that he led to, the, uh, led to the Lord that he mentions, the first convert, Eponius. He remembers these, these people who have been in prison with him. He remembers these people that he loves. And because of this, this, these reminders of people that he so cared for, all of a sudden it strikes him, oh my goodness, they're in danger. Because there are people afoot who bring about obstacles that are contrary to the doctrine that they had been taught that will damage them. As he remembers how much he loves them, he wants to remind them one more time about the dangers that exist over these issues of divisive people and doctrinal error. Um, now, by the by, we, we find out later on that Paul's fears that he's addressing right here were not unfounded. When Paul finally does get to Rome, um, of course, he's jailed in, in Rome. And from Rome, he writes the, the um, letter to the Philippian church. And from Rome, in jail, Paul writes this. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Where was that going on? It was going on in the church in Rome that he's, he's, he's writing to right now, telling them to beware of the very people that ultimately arose in Rome. Um, now, guys... Um, he mentions two things. He mentions those who cause divisions and then those who create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Let's talk about divisive people real quick. Not necessarily heretics. But people, because of their own appetites, according to verse 18, they want a following. Um, this kind of stuff shows up in the Christian church. It happened at Grace Evangelical Church. Couples show up. They want a following. They, uh, they had one in a previous church. Um... Oftentimes, these divisive folks are often very skilled and, um, and claim to be teachers. Um, they get a teaching post, and then they hop on their hobby horse, and they create a mess. A big old ugly mess. Um, those people existed in the Roman church and they still exist in the church today. 
Um, the result is often ugly because of, um, because of divisive people, people who cause divisions um, because they've got their own agenda. Um, you know, gang, the church is often used by entrepreneurs to further their own causes. I hope you understand that. Uh, one of the harder things in the world for me to deal with is uh, people who want to use a church, any church, this one, for their own agenda. And uh, it's a crowd of people. Um, they are often, as I said, very skilled, and they are promoting uh, their own thing. But that said, um, let's talk about the, po- the folks who create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught. Um, back during the Reformation, when uh, Luther was causing so much trouble and nailing the 95 Theses on the restored at, at Rome, the Pope then was a guy by the name of Leo, Leo X. And he wrote this thing called the Papal Bull. Uh, if, I know you don't know, we don't use that word bull anymore. Well, we do, but uh, not in this sense. But um, a, a, a Papal Bull was a Papal letter or a Papal, uh, a, a, a letter written by the Pope. Or an edict that came down from the, the Pope. Well, Pope Leo X wrote one that became quite famous. And if you read anything about um, Martin Luther, you'll find this. Um, Pope Leo said about Martin Luther, he said, A wild boar is ravishing God's vineyard. <laughs> A wild boar is loose and ravaging God's vineyard. Well, Luther wasn't one of those. But Joel Osteen is. Joyce Meyer is. Kenneth Hagen, Kenneth Copeland, both are wild boars ravaging God's vineyard. Creflo Dollar. Robert Tilton, the list goes on and on. I, I, um, I hesitate to even show you these books because they're, they're old. Uh, this came out in, in 1990, so that's almost 25 years ago. Um, and, and I think some of these people that I just mentioned are dead. I, I think Kenneth Hagen is no longer alive. Uh, but I think the others are still alive. Um, I want to read you. Just right from that book, I want to read you some of the statements made by some of the wild boars. Um, Paul Crouch, remember him from TBN? We are gods. I am a little god. I have his name. I am one with him. This guy, I think, is still around. Casey Treat, the pastor of Seattle's Christian uh, Faith Center, which is huge. Listen to this. These are quotes. When God looks in the mirror, he sees me. When I look in the mirror, I see God. Did you get that? Kenneth Hagin. You are as much the incarnation of God as Jesus Christ was. Morris Cirillo, 
You are not looking at Morris Cirillo. You're looking at God. You're looking at Jesus. Kenneth Copeland. Um, he claims to have had this personal meeting with Jesus where Jesus said to him, and I'm quoting, this is, this is Jesus talking here, according to Kenneth Copeland. I didn't claim I was God. I just claimed I walked with him and that he was in me. That's what you're doing. Now, Jesus said that. Did you get that? I mean, Jesus said, I didn't claim I was God. I just claimed I walked with him and that he was in me. That's what you're doing. Um, how, about, how about this? This is from Kenneth Copeland. God cannot do anything for you apart or separate from faith because faith is God's source of power. That is, you provide God the source for his power to accomplish anything. It gets worse. Frederick Price says, God has to be given permission to work in this earth realm on behalf of men. Yes, you are in control. When God gave Adam dominion, that meant God no longer had dominion. So God cannot do anything in this earth unless we let him. And the way we let him or give him permission is through prayer. Now you folks run home tonight and give God some permission. Uh, because he's waiting for you. Um, now... Then we get to this gospel of, of, of Joel Osteen and Joyce Meyer and um, Robert Tilton. This is, and, and by the way, I, I have heard these very words come out of a man. Frederick Price says, if the mafia can ride around in Lincoln Continental Town cars... Why can't the king's kids? That'd be you. Now, <laughs> Ernie Norcross is here tonight, and he would be insulted that if y'all all go out and buy Lincolns, he will sell you a very expensive Volvo. Um, but we're supposed to have those because we're king's kids. Robert Tilton said, not only is worrying a sin something with which I agree. Being poor is a sin when God promises prosperity. Um, I got more, but I, I don't think it's... Um, I, I don't think you need to hear it. Um, Guys, um, we have been instructed uh, to, in fact, the, the, the piece of instruction is to avoid them, not to harm them, not to, uh, you know, strike them, but I have been charged with avoiding them. And um, 
I, I guess one of the lowest points in my, my uh, um, no, no, that's not true. That's not true. Um, one of the saddest points is uh, not too long ago, uh, Joel Osteen came to town and um, I had to go to the pulpit and ask our people not to buy tickets to that. And I and I, I didn't succeed. I didn't succeed in in keeping folks from that. Um, guys, um, notice what he says next in verse eighteen. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. Um, I bet you some of your translations say their own bellies. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. By the way, um, also that word naive is a word that some of your translations will have the word simple in it. You know, guys, um, if we're simple, it's our fault. Um, if you get taken in on some of this nonsense, it is your fault. Um, by smooth talk and flattery, flattery. Um, last night, Susie and I were um, on the back porch and she has found this book that she, that she uh, has read. And it really is a funny book. I mean, um, it's got some rough parts in it and, um, you know, um, but the title of the book is worth the price of the book. Um, the title of the book is, um, does this church make me look fat? (laughs) But, um, but in this, in this book, she's reading to me these sections of the, of the book. And I'm telling you, they were just hilarious. Um, this girl who, um, who writes the book, she's an English professor, she's a bright girl, she's a word merchant, she's a good author. Um, but she, she says she meets this guy, she, he takes her to his church, and while in church, uh, the pastor is standing up in the front of, um, of everybody, and she says, as rigid as an antenna, waiting, you know, to get the message. You know, mm, you know, And then, and then all of a sudden, he says, he says, mm, I got it. I got it. Does somebody have problems here with blockages? <laughs> Fortunately, they did not go into the nature of those blockages. And then the tech guy in the back is doing the little, you know, the little scribbling, you know, like I used to do. And he's putting up on the screen blockages. And then another guy stands up. And he says, mm, I got it. Lady problems. Anybody here got lady problems? 
<laughs> and then the guy in the back, mm, we, got, we got blockages. We got late. What was the third one, Sue? Oh, you're not good. Uh, <laughs> see, I got lady problems. Uh, uh, lady problems. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Anybody throw up a lot? And one guy stands up in the crowd and says, yeah, yeah. I mean, when I eat, and he goes into this horrible discussion of his dietetic issues of, you know, spit-ups and all, and, and up on the board, throws up a lot. Now, ladies and gentlemen, who buys that? Them. Right there. They deceive the hearts of the simple. And if you have ever written a check to something like this foolishness, how in the devil did you get to the place where you're so simple? Ladies and gentlemen, that's a, that's a moral issue. It's not just, well, you know, we got some smart people, we got some simple people. No, I'm sure we do. But that's not what Paul, this is not having anything to do with one's mental acuity. It has to do with lazy, flabby, trifling Christians who don't give a flip about what this book says, and therefore they go see Joel Osteen. Guys, um, I'm not on this little tangent because I particularly wanted to be. I guess I'm glad I had the opportunity, but I'm on this tangent because this is a text right from the Apostle Paul who is saying to God's people, avoid them. Because they, they come in as angels of light, but they really want to serve their own belly, their own appetites like fame and power and a following or money or whatever. Um, can, can, can I just read you this? I, um, I think i got a minute. L- let me read you this. This is just two verses out of Philippians 3. Um, For many of whom I have often told you now, um, and... Uh, told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. That was going on in the Roman church, folks. The one that was warned. Warned to avoid such folk. Um... Under the guise of religion, they are serving themselves, says the Apostle Paul, motivated by vanity or ambition or whatever. And the, and the devices that are used are smooth talk and flattery. Kenneth Copeland denies the deity of Christ. And we still put him in the class of Christian preacher. 
How in the world did that happen? Well, maybe because we did not heed the uh, warnings and the um, um, the admonitions of the Apostle Paul. I hope we will. Um, for those divisive pe- people and those who create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that we taught you, avoid them. Avoid them. That's what he says. Let's pray. Our Father, um, I do pray that uh, I have not uh, taken these issues too far. But certainly, um, defending the deity of Christ is not um, a small thing. And I pray, Lord, that you will uh, illumine the eyes of your people so that they might not fall into some kind of foolish trap of supporting things that are or promoting or applauding or in any other way sponsoring that which denies the doctrine that is contained in this book. Father, I am not God. What I need is the God. Because of my sin, what I need is the gospel of all grace performed and completed by God in flesh, Jesus Christ. To him we give all obedience. To him we give all praise and worship. To him we give all our lives. And to no one else. And we ask it, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen.